You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, it's that time of the year again. Harvest. I'm at a stage in life where harvest seemed to come more and more quickly. When I was a wee boy, harvest, it seemed to come round. It seemed to be about three years between every harvest. But as I've got older, it seems like it's three weeks between every harvest. It goes by so quickly. But it's a time of the year which brings to a climax all the farmer's hard work. The work that has gone on previously in the year, the springtime, he's had to prepare the ground, and that took a big investment in time and resources, plowing, rotivating, sowing seed. If potatoes were being planted, then the seed had to be sorted out. It had to be prepared to go into the ground. And then when it's sown on the ground, that isn't the end of it because he had to continually spray it uh, because of the fear of blight, spraying it again and again and again. And then at harvest time, preparation had to be made. It used to be that they had to round up potato gatherers. Well, that's what happened in my day. A pound a day, dinner and tea. That's what I worked for. A pound a day, dinner and tea. You got your dinner and you got your tea. And a pound. And I thought I was well paid for it. And probably for all the work I did, I was. And I can honestly say it's the hardest work I've ever done in my life, is gather potatoes. And there are people who loved it. I love gathering them off the plate. That would do me. But but nowadays, of course, it's the potato harvesters that they have to prepare. They need to be properly serviced and ready to go, or, a, or if a contractor is used, they need to contact them in good time. And this is a time when really you should be praying for the contractors, because everybody wants them at the same time. Do you ever notice that? When it's not raining. When it's raining, nobody wants them. And they, they work literally almost round the clock. But a good harvest, what I'm trying to say is, a good harvest doesn't just appear in the barn. It has to be prepared for. It has to be worked for. And and it's the same with anything that we do. Anything that you put your hand to requires preparation. When I was minister of Kilkeel, I had a man and, and my committee, Sam Forsyth, PhD, I called him. He was a paper hanger and decorator. Think about that. Anyway, he was a superb uh, paper hanger. You never, I mean, the ceilings in the manse were papered and you couldn't see a single seam. They were superb. And he was a brilliant painter. He left, he left the, the skirting boards and the architraves. They were like glass. They were so smooth. And I remember saying, Sam, how do you get it like that? Oh, he says, it's all in the preparation. He says, you rub it down and rub it down and rub it down. And then you put on a primer, and then you rub it down. And then you put on an undercoat, and then you rub it down. And then you put on a gloss and another gloss. And it was perfect, but it was all in the preparation. And it's the same for young people in the exams. Young people, do you remember what exams were like? It seems so long ago uh, since any of our young people have have had to do exams. But but when, when I was doing exams, this, this is probably where I went wrong because I didn't do very well, because I never, I did my preparation on the bus on the way in, 
to school. It wasn't, it wasn't, a, good, it wasn't a good system. Uh, but it really does come down to good preparation. And, and my work uh, as, a, as a preacher involves preparation. It's a, it's a work that nobody else sees other than my wife. And, and I put the time into it because it's so important. It's important that I prepare because I believe that what I have to say, and, I, and it's not because of me, it's because of the message, it is vitally important. And I want people to understand. And so I put work into it and to put it as simply and as clearly as I can so that the youngest person in the building can hear and understand what I'm saying. And, and so I want to talk about spiritual preparation with you tonight. And, and I have that text that I mentioned at the beginning of the service as my text. And it's a very simple text. Prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. Five words, that's all there is. And I have three simple questions to put tonight before you. First of all, why prepare to meet your God? Why? I want to suggest three reasons to you. First of all, because God demands it. God demands it. Prepare to meet your God. It, it's like an unbroken thread right through all of Scripture. God's command for us to prepare to meet him. And it's tragic not to obey that command. Now, we often hear someone say that, you know, as they look at their life, they think they haven't done too bad. And as they measure themselves against the Ten Commandments, they, they, they think, well, they've maybe only broken one or two of them. Anybody that thinks like that, by the way, has never really studied the Ten Commandments. The truth is, we break ourselves upon these commandments. But why should anyone break himself on this commandment? God says, and, and he says it here, clearly and simply as a command. It's a command. Prepare to meet your God. And, and there's nothing complicated about that. There's no hidden meaning here. Even a child could understand that command. Why is it that, that maybe there's some of you here this evening and you've lived for 20, 30, 40, 60, 70 plus years? And yet here you are tonight. And though you've been at 50 or 60 or 70 harvest services, and I don't know how many other evangelistic services in between, and still you are unprepared. You're not prepared. How is that possible? Are, are you going to arrive at the end of your life and, and still not be prepared? And, and you know, you will never, that you people here in Union Road, you will never be able to claim ignorance. You'll never be able to stand before the Lord and say, I never knew. Nobody ever told me. I know the line of ministers that you have had in the last 50 years. And you are privileged beyond measure. You are a people without excuse. Nobody here could ever claim that they don't know that they need to prepare. And this is one of the clearest, simplest, most straightforward commands in all of Scripture. God says to you, prepare to meet your God, and a wise person will obey it. 
So why prepare to meet God, first of all? Because God demands it. Secondly, why prepare to meet God? Because of our sinful condition. God is holy and righteous and just. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about the holiness of God? That God is absolutely perfect. There's, there's no shadow of turning in him. He, he's, he's of pure horizon to even look at iniquity. He hates sin. He, he's just. He, he can't turn a blind eye to sin. He's righteous. Everything that he does is right. And, and by contrast, we're the opposite. We're sinful. We are, we are unrighteous. I wonder, do you believe that? That, that we are totally depraved. That, that maybe sounds harsh, and I, I don't mean by that that we're as bad as we can be. But what, what I mean by that is, is that every part of us is fallen. Every part of us. Physically, we're fallen. Our wills are fallen. Everything about us is fallen. We will always choose to go the wrong way. It's, it's our natural bent, if you like. And, and so, in our natural state, we're not ready to meet a pure and holy and just God. And as long as we walk in sin, we can never walk with a holy God. For he hates sin, and he must punish it. Because if he doesn't, he's not just. And you see, only Christ can give us that holiness and that righteousness that will enable us to face God. <clears throat> you remember how, how Paul puts it in Romans. You know, Romans could be uh, referred to as the gospel according to Paul. In, in Romans chapter 3, uh, earlier in this chapter, he, he says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. You know what that means? You and I are mentioned there. You and I are in that no one, not even one. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That's the bad news. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. He goes on. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Isn't that wonderful? A righteousness that comes from God that is given to us in Jesus Christ. I find that incredible. So, so why prepare to meet God? First of all, because God demands it. Secondly, because of our sinful condition. And thirdly, because of our lost condition. 
The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've been preaching, I suppose, for the best part of 40 years, and I wish I, wish I could, cons- could, could convey to you, I wish I had the vocabulary, the words to convey to you, all the tragedy that is wrapped up in that little word, lost. To be lost. And, and the only thing I think comes near to it, you know, as a parent, have you ever been in the position where just for a moment or two you've lost one of your children? Maybe you've been in a supermarket or you've been out in a crowd of people and, and just for a few fleeting moments you've lost one of your children. The sense of panic that grips you. And, and that's just for a fleeting moment. But to be lost for time and for eternity, how, how can we convey that? See, when souls are lost without God, they're without hope. And, that, and that's why I believe every Christian should, should try to win souls for Christ in order that the lost might be found and might be saved. You know, when a, when a person loses their business, that's not the greatest loss. It's a loss, of course it is, but it's not the greatest loss. Many a person has lost their business and got them back again and lost them again. And contrary to popular belief, when a person loses their health, they haven't lost everything. You hear it all the time. You know, your health's everything. If you have your health, you have everything. Rubbish. We're all going to lose our health, every single one of us eventually. So that's not the greatest loss. But when a person loses his soul, that's the greatest loss of all. Do you remember, do you remember how Jesus encapsulated that in a question on one occasion? He said, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Remember the bit that comes before that? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Imagine you had it all. You owned it all and lost your soul. Where's the profit? None. There's no profit. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? And the answer, of course, is nothing. Once it's gone, it's gone. Being lost means eternal separation from God. Jesus said to his followers, to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am there you may be also. But you see, unless we prepare to meet God, we'll not be with Christ in that place that he's prepared. We'll be cut off from him, and that forever. And and this loss means eternal suffering. The Lord Jesus himself said this, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In Revelation 20 and 15, we're told that the lost will be cast into the lake of fire, there to be tormented day and night forever. Do you think that you can go on without Christ and at the end of the way, it'll be well with you forever? No, it won't. The Bible tells us that Conscious suffering awaits every lost person. Because the soul of man lives on. The saved are in heaven, the lost are in hell. There is another life, and those who are not ready to meet God are to spend that life in endless shame and suffering. 
So why prepare to meet God? First of all, because God commands it. Then, because of our sinful condition. And then thirdly, because of our lost condition. And, and you see, there's, there's application here for Christians as well. If we believe this, and we do, we believe that this is the truth. The people who don't know Christ are without Christ and without hope, and they're going to a lost eternity. Should that not motivate us to pray? What are the weapons at our disposal? Well, prayer is the main weapon that we have, and the Word of God. So, Christians, really, we need to take this seriously, not just, not just to pray in our own personal quiet time. Of course we should, to pray for our kith and kin and to pray for our community, but to come together to pray, and especially in a time of vacancy. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to make the most of every opportunity to get together to pray. He has all the power. The Lord has all the power. We have no power. We, the only power we have is what he gives us. And, and so we need to plead with God for souls. Second question, how to prepare to meet God? Two things I want to say under that heading, or that, that question. How do we prepare to meet God? First of all, and, and this is very simple, I, I can't, I can't make this any, any simpler. First thing, we must leave our sin. That, that seems like stating the obvious. But, but it isn't so obvious today, is it? When, when, you, hear, when you hear people saying that they're Christians, but they're, they're living in an immoral relationship, and, and they say, well, I'm as good a Christian as you. Well, that doesn't make sense. We have to leave our sin. And, and that's an act, you know, it's, it's, it's actually what the Bible calls repentance. That's, that's the term it uses. It, it's an act when, when we turn away. We, we turn away from sin and we turn toward God. It's coming over to God and, and taking his side against sin. I'm sure you have all heard the, the children's address, you know, of the monkey trap, allegedly, where they get a coconut and, and cut a hole in it, just enough for a monkey to get its hand in there, and it, they put nuts inside it, and the monkey puts its hand and gets the nuts, and it, it grabs the nuts and makes a fist. And as soon as it makes a fist, a fist, it tries to pull it out, and it can't get out because the fist is now too big to get out of the hole, and it won't let go of the nuts. So they throw a net over the monkey, and they've got, why do you want to catch monkeys? It's beyond me. But, but anyway, do you see what I mean? The only way it can escape is let go of the nuts. You need, that's the only way you can do it. And, and you see, people want to hold on to their sin, and, and they still want to be saved. But they don't want to give up their sin. They want to hold on to it. You can hold on to it and be lost forever or you turn from it to Christ and be saved forever. So the first thing, we must leave our sin. Secondly, we must come to Christ. 
Not, not only are we to leave that which is wrong, we, we have to go further. We must turn in faith to Christ, to put our trust in him. It is repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20 and verse 21. Our repentance is toward God, for it is his commandments that we have disobeyed. It's faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, for he's the object of saving faith. He is the only one who can save us. Our trust is in a person. God says in Isaiah, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. A great, loving, merciful, reasonable God warns you to prepare to meet your maker. How do you prepare? Have you got it? Repent and trust or turn and trust. That's how to prepare. Well then, lastly, we need to ask, when should we prepare to meet God? Let me give you three warnings from the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 4, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Proverbs 27, 1. Do not boast of tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring forth. The Bible always speaks about now time. None of us knows what another day will bring. None of us knows what another telephone call will bring. Let me give you three reasons for preparing now. First of all, prepare now for delay makes it harder. I, I'm told there's a sign on the Niagara River some distance above the falls. I remember being at Niagara Falls. It is a truly awesome sight to see that water plunging uh, over. And, and there's a sign up above the falls which reads, Past Redemption Point. And the sign's pretty clear, isn't it? Go down the river beyond that point. Go beyond that point in a boat, and uh, it's, it's curtains. You, you are finished. That's, that would be the end of you, wouldn't it? There's no redemption beyond this point. There's no hope. You, you'll be carried over the falls to your death on the rocks below. Now, the the fact is that all of us are going down the river of life. All of us. And we're all going at the same rate, a day at a time. How many more harvest seasons will you see? How many more harvest seasons will I see? This may be my last harvest season. I don't know. But there's a point beyond which if we go, there is no hope, no redemption for us if we haven't made our preparation. A man puts off preparing to meet God time and time and time again. And each postponement makes it harder. And one day there will come a time when he feels no impulse, no desire to be saved. And what has happened there? The Holy Spirit has ceased to strive with him. He's gone past the point of no return. He's gone past the point of redemption. Prepare now for delay makes it harder. 
Second reason, prepare now so that life here might be saved. Life in this earth is never lived at its best, I would argue, until it's, life, until it's lived for Christ. And I would say to you, if you knew that, that, that you're going to be alive 10 years from now, you know, and in 10 years' time that you're going to be saved, I would still say to you, don't delay. I would say, come to Christ now. Give those 10 years to Christ and let him give you the happiness and fulfillment and usefulness that he alone can give. Don't give those 10 years to the devil and to the world. What about your influence? It, it can be a powerful thing, whether or not you're conscious of it. If you live for Satan, your influence will harm others. If you live for Christ, your influence will help others. It's as simple as that. And then finally, prepare now and be ready for the end of life. Christianity is all about living. It's all about life in all its fullness. But it has this bonus that the best is yet to be. Do you know that? The best is yet to be. Prepare now and be ready for the end of life. Of course, we don't know when that will come. God knows. It may be soon. It won't be long for any of us. It, it may be that we will meet him through death or through his coming again. We live in a very unstable, insecure world at the present time. The things that are happening in the world at the present time would make you wonder what is happening. Are things coming to a climax? The important thing is, whether he comes or calls, that we are ready. So let me ask you, are you ready? And I'm not asking you about the person sitting beside you or the person you're related to. I'm asking you, are you ready? If the Lord was, was to call you or, or to come back tonight, would you be ready to meet him? You know, the people that, that Amos was writing to, they, they just refused to listen to God. No matter how, and God spoke to them again and again and again. And we saw it in that passage. You know, he sent famine. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me. So that a famine, where did that famine come from? Oh, the crops failed. Why? God sent that famine. Then the drought I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain in one town, withheld it from another. One fielded rain, another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water but didn't get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me. And it's like God speaking louder and louder. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig trees. Yet you have not returned to me. And then he sends disease. I sent plagues among you, as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with the captured horses. He sends plagues and wars. Now, you look at the history of our country. Lately, we've had, we've had wars. We have had disease. We haven't had famine yet. 
And yet, haven't we had empty shelves in the supermarkets and people panic buying? God is speaking. And he's speaking louder and louder and louder. And yet, the testimony of God is that the people weren't listening. I don't know if you remember Bobby Robson. He used to be manager of England and Newcastle United when he was at PSV Eindhoven he developed a cough it wouldn't go away and he wouldn't go to the doctor eventually his wife put on an appointment and she said you're coming with me where are we going I'm taking you to the doctor the doctor examined him he said you've got to come in for treatment Bobby Robson says look I haven't time we have really really a series of important matches coming up to which the doctor replied then you'll be dead by Christmas tell you it concentrated the mind he was happy enough when he didn't know that he had cancer unconcerned totally unconcerned but when he knew what he had and the consequences then football suddenly in the twinkling of an eye had no importance at all you know you can go through life unconcerned about your sin live every day as it comes you know free and easy but when you know that you are a sinner when God the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and convinces you that before God you are guilty and you know that soon you're going to meet him, I tell you, it concentrates the mind, doesn't it? If someone was to say to you, you only have a short time to live, I tell you, it would change your priorities in the twinkling of an eye. The things that you're so worried about today wouldn't mean that. So God comes to you this evening, and he says to you, prepare to meet your God. It demands that you do something now. It, it calls for action. So either you will leave this place prepared or unprepared. And you go out into a very uncertain world out there. There are so many things out there that we don't know. I don't know, you don't know. But this I do know. It is given unto man once to die and after this the judgment. I know that. Therefore, I say simply to you. Prepare to meet your God. Let's pray. 